Shefford ended his narrative out of breath, pale, and dripping with sweat. Withers sat leaning forward with an expression of intense interest. Nas Tabega's easy, graceful pose had succeeded to one of strained rigidity. He seemed a statue of bronze. Could a few intelligible words, Shefford wondered, have created that strange, listening posture? Venters got out of Utah, of course, as you know, went on Shefford. He got out, knowing as I feel I would have known that Jane, Lassiter, and little Fay Larkin were shut up, walled up in Surprise Valley. For years Venters considered it would not have been safe for him to venture to rescue them. He had no fears for their lives. They could live in Surprise Valley. But Venters always intended to come back with Bess and find the valley and his friends. No wonder he and Bess were haunted. However, when his wife had the baby that made a difference. It meant he had to go alone. And he was thinking seriously of starting when when there were developments that made it desirable for me to leave Beaumont. Venters's story haunted me as he had been haunted. I dreamed of that wild valley of little Faye Larkin grown to womanhood such a woman as Bess Venters was. And the longing to come was great. And, withers here I am. The traitor reached out and gave Shefford the grip of a man in whom emotion was powerful, but deep and difficult to express. Listen to this. I wish I could help you. Life is a queer deal. Shefford, I've got to trust you. Over here in the wild Cannon country there's a village of Mormons sealed wives. It's in Arizona, perhaps twenty miles from here, and near the Utah line. When the United States government began to persecute, or prosecute, the Mormons for polygamy, the Mormons over here in Stonebridge took their sealed wives and moved them out of Utah, just across the line. They built houses, established a village there. I'm the only Gentile who knows about it. And I pack supplies every few weeks into these women. There are perhaps fifty women, mostly young second or third or fourth wives of Mormon sealed wives. And I want you to understand that sealed means sealed in all that religion or loyalty can get out of the word. There are also some old women and old men in the village, but they hardly count. And there's a flock of the finest children you ever saw in your life. The idea of the Mormons must have been to escape prosecution. The law of the government is one wife for each man no more. All over Utah polygamists have been arrested. The Mormons are deeply concerned. I believe they are a good, law-abiding people. But this law is a direct blow at their religion. In my opinion they can't obey both and therefore they have not altogether given up plural wives. Perhaps they will some day. I have no proof, but I believe the Mormons of Stonebridge pay secret night visits to their sealed wives across the line in the lonely, hidden village. Now once over in Stonebridge I overheard some Mormons talking about a girl who was named Fay Larkin. I never forgot the name. Later I heard the name in this sealed wife village. But, as I told you, I never heard of Lassiter or Jane Witherstein. Still, if Mormons had found them I would never have heard of it. And Deception Pass that might be the Sagi. 
I'm not surprised at your rainbow chasing adventure. It's a great story. This Faye Larkin I've heard of might be your Faye Larkin I almost believe so. Shefford, I'll help you find out. Yes, yes I must know, replied Shefford. Oh I hope, I pray we can find her. But I'd rather she was dead if she's not still hidden in the valley. Naturally. You've dreamed yourself into rescuing this lost Fay Larkin. But, Shefford, you're old enough to know life doesn't work out as you want it to. One way or another I fear you're in for a bitter disappointment. Withers, take me to the village. Shefford, you're liable to get in bad out here, said the trader, gravely. I couldn't be any more ruined than I am now, replied Shefford, passionately. But there's risk in this risk such as you never had, persisted Withers. I'll risk anything. Reckon this is a funny deal for a sheep trader to have on his hands, continued Withers. Shefford, I like you. I've a mind to see you through this. It's a damn strange story. I'll tell you what I will help you. I'll give you a job packing supplies into the village. I meant to turn that over to a Mormon cowboy Joe Lake. The job shall be yours, and I'll go with you first trip. Here's my hand on it. Now, Shefford, I'm more curious about you than I was before you told your story. What ruined you? As we're to be partners, you can tell me now. I'll keep your secret. Maybe I can do you good. Shefford wanted to confess, yet it was hard. Perhaps, had he not been so agitated, he would not have answered to impulse. But this traitor was a man a man of the desert he would understand. I told you I was a clergyman, said Shefford in low voice. I didn't want to be one, but they made me one. I did my best. I failed. I had doubts of religion of the Bible of God, as my church believed in them. As I grew older thought and study convinced me of the narrowness of religion, as my congregation lived it. I preached what I believed. I alienated them. They put me out, took my calling from me, disgraced me, ruined me. So that's all, exclaimed Withers, slowly. You didn't believe in the God of the Bible. Well, I've been in the desert long enough to know their is a God, but probably not the one your church worships. Shefford, go to the Navajo for a faith. Shefford had forgotten the presence of Nas Bega, and perhaps Withers had likewise. At this juncture the Indian rose to his full height, and he folded his arms to stand with the somber pride of a chieftain while his dark, inscrutable eyes were riveted upon Shefford. At that moment he seemed magnificent. How infinitely more he seemed than just a common Indian who had chanced to befriend a white man. The difference was obscure to Shefford. But he felt that it was there in the Navajo's mind. Nas Tabega's strange look was not to be interpreted. Presently he turned and passed from the room. By George, cried Withers, suddenly, and he pounded his knee with his fist. I'd forgotten. What ejaculated Shefford? Why, that Indian understood every word we said. He knows English. He's educated. Well, if this doesn't beat me. 
Let me tell you about Nas Tabega. Withers appeared to be recalling something half-forgotten. Years ago, in 57, I think, Kit Carson with his soldiers chased the Navajo tribes and rounded them up to be put on reservations. But he failed to catch all the members of one tribe. They escaped up into wild cannon like the Sagi. The descendants of these fugitives live there now and are the finest Indians on earth the finest because unspoiled by the white man. Well, as I got the story, years after Carson's roundup one of his soldiers guided some interested travelers in here. When they left they took an Indian boy with them to educate. From what I know of Navajos I'm inclined to think the boy was taken against his parents' wish. Anyway, he was taken. That boy was Nas Tabega. The story goes that he was educated somewhere. Years afterward, and perhaps not long before I came in here, he returned to his people. There have been missionaries and other interested fools who have given Indians a white man's education. In all the instances I know of, these educated Indians return to their tribes, repudiating the white man's knowledge, habits, life, and religion. I have heard that Nas Tabega came back, laid down the white man's clothes along with the education, and never again showed that he had known either. You have just seen how strangely he acted. It's almost certain he heard our conversation. Well, it doesn't matter. He won't tell. He can hardly be made to use an English word. Besides, he's a noble red man, if there ever was one. He has been a friend in need to me. If you stay long out here you'll learn something from the Indians. Nas Tabega has befriended you, too, it seems. I thought he showed unusual interest in you. Perhaps that was because I saved his sister well, to be charitable, from the rather rude advances of a white man, said Shefford, and he proceeded to tell of the incident that occurred at Red Lake. Willits, exclaimed Withers, with much the same expression that Presbury had used. I never met him. But I know about him. He's well, the Indians don't like him much. Most of the missionaries are good men good for the Indians, in a way, but sometimes one drifts out here who is bad. A bad missionary teaching religion to savages. Queer, isn't it? The queerest part is the white people's blindness the blindness of those who send the missionaries. Well, I dare say Willits isn't very good. When Presbury said that was Willits's way of teaching religion he meant just what he said. If Willits drifts over here he'll be risking much. This you told me explains Nas Tabega's friendliness toward you, and also his bringing his sister Glenn Naspa to live with relatives up in the pass. She had been living near Red Lake. Do you mean Nas Tabega wants to keep his sister far removed from Willits? inquired Shefford. I mean that, replied Withers, and I hope he's not too late. Later Shefford went outdoors to walk and think. There was no moon, but the stars made light enough to cast his shadow on the ground. The dark, illimitable expanse of blue sky seemed to be glittering with numberless points of fire. The air was cold and still. A dreaming silence lay over the land. Shefford saw and felt all these things 
and their effect was continuous and remained with him and helped calm him. He was conscious of a burden removed from his mind. Confession of his secret had been like tearing a thorn from his flesh, but, once done, it afforded him relief and a singular realization that out here it did not matter much. In a crowd of men all looking at him and judging him by their standards he had been made to suffer. Here, if he were judged at all, it would be by what he could do, how he sustained himself and helped others.